Welcome into Locked On Horn Frogs. Uh, TCU plays Texas this week, and that means the Frogs will face off with their former coach, Gary Patterson. How worried should the Frogs be about Gary cooking up something uh, for that Texas defense against the TCU offense? We'll talk about that next on Locked On Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is Locked On Horn Frogs. I am Steven Simcox, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Simcox Steven. Uh, so let's get to it. TCU Texas on Saturday. Chance for the Frogs to go 10 and 0. Um, Texas opening, it looks like, at six and a half. Point favorites, maybe seven, depending on where you're looking. But online, last I checked, had the Horns as six and a half point favorites, almost touchdown favorites over TCU this weekend, which doesn't necessarily shock me. I mean, Vegas likes UT, but obviously a huge subplot to this. I put out a picture on Twitter today of Gary Patterson. This was back when O'Shawn Mathis took his official visit to Texas when he was on the transfer portal. And there's this really funny photo of O'Shawn, you know, he's bending down, he's flashing the hook of horns, and Gary's next to him in all Texas gear, and he's flashing the hook of horns. And it's still just so weird. I mean, I know it's been almost a year, and the team's played so well that, honestly, I don't even really think about the coaching change as much as I thought I would. Um, but it's still so surreal and strange to see him in burnt orange and white. And I'm sure there will be plenty of shots of him on the TV broadcast Saturday night. I've gone back and forth about this over the last few weeks. But, of course, a big question I have is how will how involved will he be in the game plan? And does he have something cooked up for this TCU team and this offense? Obviously, he's familiar with Sonny Dykes. And I've sort of landed on the idea that I don't think it's – something that TCU should be overly worried about. Um, now, listen, I have a ton of respect for Gary Patterson, the coach, even with how things ended. Obviously, he built the TCU program, and the guy has been a defensive genius for a long time. And even towards the end of his tenure, when the team was churning out what I would call mediocre seasons, there were still always a game or two where – I mean, it felt like they won because Gary's defense kept them in the game. With, I mean, honestly, with the exception of his last year in 2021, and I guess you could argue that it was the Baylor game, which was the week he was let go and Jerry Kill took over as the interim. But whether it was upsetting Texas, getting an upset of Baylor, I mean, they were still able to pull off one of those. Almost yearly, you could kind of count on it, and in large part to the fact that Gary prepares really well. He always has something – for these offenses, I think it's what he excels at is finding tendencies, fighting tendencies, finding ways to blow plays up from the beginning. You know, that's what his defenses are predicated on is tackles for loss, getting in the backfield, um, creating second and long, third and long, taking a lot of risk. And it's sort of been funny to me, like it's almost week to week how much people give him credit for the Texas defense. And the UT defense has been pretty solid this year. They had a great performance against Alabama early in the season when uh, Quinn Ewers went down, kept them in that game. And I remember that Saturday, like, 
there was just this sentiment across the across the country it seemed like that oh man this is the Gary Patterson you know imprint on Texas and I, I did see in that game like you saw a lot of four band fronts you saw um, some exotic blitzes from the secondary um, you saw some stunts and twists that looked like GP's defense and it did feel like yeah he had an input on it um, and then, but you know, if Texas plays poorly, it, it really doesn't fall on him. So in, in a lot of ways, he's in a good situation. And so part of me thinks like, man, he's just going to be locked in a room, ready to go having, you know, or being really prepared for this TC offense. Because if I know one thing about Gary, it's that he takes everything personally. And the bottom line was, I mean, he was let go by TCU. Like it was not a mutual parting of ways. Um, he was not happy about it. I think he still feels like he has something left in the tank. I don't know what his emotions are watching this team excel right now, but he, he has had a chip on his shoulder his entire career. It was a big part of the identity of TCU. It's one of the reasons why they were so successful is because he got guys to buy into the mentality of it's us against the world. People don't believe in us. And we're going to go out there and prove them wrong. And so I could definitely see that happening. But I think one thing to, to point out here, obviously it's a different situation because he's not the head coach. He's an analyst. And so he's solely tunnel vision focused on the defense. But Sonny Dykes has had success against Gary Patterson's defense in the past. One of the reasons he got the job, I believe, is because his SMU teams came to Fort Worth in 2019 and 2021 and put up over 40 points and, like, physically just kind of manhandled TCU up front. In 2019, they won 41-38. That was Max's freshman year. Shane Bouchelle was 23-34, 288 yards, two touchdowns. And then Xavier Jones had 19 carries for 79 yards. Reggie Robertson, Jr. had four catches for 122 yards for the Ponies. In 2021, they won that game 42-34. Tanner Mordecai was 17 and 28 for 245 yards, four touchdowns. Did throw three picks in that game, but SMU still found a way to win. And that was that game stuck out in my mind because of this stat line. Ulysses Bentley had 20 carries for 153 yards. Trey Siggers had 18 carries for 110 yards. They just ran the ball on TCU in a way that we really hadn't seen often in the Gary Patterson era. And TCU even had a chance, like, they weren't playing well, but it was an eight-point game, and they had a chance to stop SMU, get the ball back, and go down and score. But they could not get off the field because SMU was just running the ball at will against that TCU defense. Now, it's a different set of players. But Garrett Riley was the OC in 2021 at SMU. Rhett Lashley, who's now the SMU head coach, was there in 2019. And in both instances, they held up really well against the 4-2-5 scheme. I think it's going to be a huge subplot to the game. It's going to be talked about a ton. I have no doubt that Gary is super prepared, that he has some great notes. I mean, he knows these players really well, right? He knows Max Duggan. He knows Quentin Johnston, Kendra Miller. He recruited these guys. Didn't really have much of an identity that struggled to do simple, basic things that always seemed like it was getting in its own way.
Didn't have a great game against Tech last week. But overall, they've been super consistent. And I, I don't see them just bottoming out because Coach P has, like, the secret sauce. Maybe I'll be wrong. It's obviously a, a possibility. But I don't think it's something – like, it's something to watch. He is really, really good at diagnosing teams, finding tendencies. But it's not something that's going to keep me up at night over the next few days. When we come back, I want to get to your thoughts. A lot of you chimed in on the issues with the offense and the tech game. I want to talk about that next. Before we do that, though, I do want to mention our Nissan thrilling moment of the game. Our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked On College Network titled Thrilling Moments. This is where we highlight the most exciting play from the Horn Frogs. And this week, uh, the thrilling moment in college football brought to you by Nissan. It is Darius Davis's 82-yard touchdown return, punt return TD in the first quarter. That's what I'm going with. I know, like, there were bigger TDs in the fourth quarter, um, whether it was the Amari Mercado catch or Darius Davis, Kendra Miller fighting through some guys and retaking the lead for TCU. But in my mind, Darius Davis housing it on that punt return was uh, the thrilling moment of the game. Again, that's brought to you by Nissan. The segment has been inspired by their thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's a new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier Armada, our Pathfinder today, available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, so uh, on Monday, I threw this out to the listeners. Um, whether it's on YouTube or on Twitter, if you're uh, digesting this via podcast. By the way, I'd love for you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Lockdown Horn Frogs. Um, trying to build a good community there. But a lot of you commented. I'll try to get to a lot of these, and um, I'm paraphrasing some of this. So if I don't read your entire comment, please don't take it personally. I'm just doing it for the sake of time. I'll try to get the gist of what you're saying. But um, Avenger Combat and Conditioning said, as a strength and conditioning professional, he appreciates what the program is doing. He said this a few weeks ago. DC is like the Nate Diaz of college football. They'll take shots and get beat up until it matters, and then they'll tap you out at the end. It isn't flashy, but it works, and the record shows that. Yeah, I mentioned this on the pod. I said that they've really excelled in the fourth quarter of games, and I've been super impressed with that given how long they've gone now without a bye week. But the second half of games have belonged to TCU, especially in that fourth quarter, and it is really impressive. I mean, I agree with you. I think what they're doing on that front has been sort of their saving grace and a ton of these comebacks, and it's uh, it's great. You know, Byron Bailey, he chimed in, and he said uh, he thought Tech stacked the box. When Quentin Johnson left the game, they doubled down on that. Tech's D-line has uh, two folks that will be playing on Sundays, and, yeah, Tyree Wilson especially is a great, great player. Um, he agrees on Max not hitting some of those throws on some of those mesh concepts. He feels like they should have incorporated some jet sweeps, thought the offense never really got into a rhythm. And he felt like maybe the screen game would have helped. And I agree with you, Byron. Now, I have been on record, as, as Byron pointed out. I don't love the wide receiver screen game, but I think that could have been effective on Saturday. I think what would have been more effective, excuse me, if you leaked Miller out or Dean Mercado or maybe one of those tight ends on some delayed – screens in the middle of the field to try to slow down that pass rush, get those defensive linemen second-guessing, just coming up the field with their ears pinned back. That was something that surprised me that they didn't go to more during the game. Uh, Jacob Healy said he's a current student at TCU. Shout out to you. Um, and he was at the game in person, and he 
also saw that Max was having trouble checking down to his safety valves, particularly those running backs, and they could have made some plays. And, and yeah, that's something else I mentioned Monday. Like, I just feel like Max, part of, part of my issue is he's not using his legs as much as I would like. But I think the bigger thing is he just kind of gets locked in on these reads down the field. And sometimes it's like, man, could you just could you scan a little more? Could you get to that, you know, first level at times and just check it down and let your running back try to make some plays, get some positive yards, keep the chains moving, getting more second and third manageables um, during the game. Uh, Jack Daddy Slim, love this name. He just says, you know, one, he says he's a loyal listener, which I appreciate. But he thought TCU couldn't get anything going offensively aside from that first offensive drive uh, down the field. Later on after halftime, um, he just kind of bought in. He was saying basically like he was also worried in the third quarter that Frogs might drop that game because they they weren't scoring, they weren't consistently moving the ball. But then by the end of it, he was like, oh, this is what TCU does. This is what they always do. They just sort of set it up. Um, where it looks like they're going to lose one, but then they come back in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, William Royal says if this team's going to contend for a Big 12 championship, Max has to make better decisions. Uh, he thinks it's time to start talking about it. He hung in the pocket too long, took unnecessary sacks, and just flat out missed some guys. Yeah, Max had a bad game against Texas Tech, and you know I think he struggled at times against West Virginia. I feel like obviously we're getting to a point in the season where everybody knows everyone's tendencies. They understand what people are doing. And I feel like uh, teams are selling out more on the run and they're trying to force TCU to throw the football. I feel like they can make plays in the passing game, but Max has to hit those throws and he has to just sort of take what the defense gives him and not get so locked in on um, going down the field and making those big explosive plays. Just, you know, let the game come to you. Uh, and then Jacob Langford said he didn't like the team passing on kicking three easy field goals. Um, going on in the fourth and one, he understood. But the way the offense was playing, there was really no way. Max was off. That early Mr. Darius Davis was a killer. Run game came through to save us. Yeah, that Mr. Davis, that was on the very first play of the game, I believe, for the TCU offense. And they finally settled him and got the ball. Max uh, had a play where Darius had gotten past the corner. It looks like the corner was passing him off to a safety who was coming in, and he just overthrew him. And then Darius got lit up by that safety that was that was coming. But if he throws a, a better pass, if he throws a dart there, then obviously Darius, the way he gets after it in the open field, maybe he makes that man miss and runs for a long way. But um, that was one of a few just missed throws. Some of it was miscommunication. Some of it was just bad throws. It wasn't a great game for Max on Saturday, but hopefully he'll bounce back. And I think there's a good chance he will against Texas. That's a game where he's excelled through the years. Um, finally today, I want to talk some basketball. Quickly, though, I do want to mention our friends at Bet Online. It's a place where you can get the latest odds for every professional and amateur league out there, basketball, soccer, esports. I've got it all on betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those on BetOnline as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it is where the game starts. All right, so TCU men's women's basketball kicked off their seasons. Um, the women played this afternoon, and they beat Lipscomb. The men played tonight, and they beat Arkansas Pine Bluff. There has been a ton of hype about the uh, TCU men. 
coming into the season. They're ranked number 14 in the AP preseason top 25 poll. They were 35-point favorites against Arkansas Pine Bluff coming into this evening. Uh, they won 73-72, and Pine Bluff had a shot at the buzzer to win it that thankfully glanced off the rim and fell harmlessly to the floor. Um, but, yeah, not a fantastic night for TCU. And so I was I watched a lot of this game. Um, I read some reaction afterwards. And the, the main sentiment I saw from fans was, well, this team just drank too much of their own Kool-Aid, got too much on their high horse, didn't come in focused, was reading the headlines, reading the press clippings, all that. Um, I, I think that's too simplistic of an answer here. I, I get frustrated with, like, lazy narratives in sports. Did that have something to do with tonight? Possibly. I mean, I think they definitely came out flat. They didn't come out with a ton of energy, especially on defense. At the same time, though, like I think a, a lot of times teams play more uptight when there's pressure. It's not so much they don't care. Like Sonny Dice mentioned this before the tech or after the tech game. Um, he said he felt like the guys, he just didn't feel like the guys were super loose during warmups. And he feels like that kind of played into the game a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, they did look a little lackadaisical, but I, I don't think it's as simple as like, oh, yeah, you just think we're hot stuff and we're going to go in there and roll. And then suddenly you find yourself in a dog fight. Um, they were down at 20 at one point in the first half. I mean, it was ugly. It was 29 to nine, about halfway through the first half. Um, Frogs did not shoot well tonight. Four of 21 from three. Uh, you know, some other glaring things that stand out for me on the box score, they out-rebounded Pine Bluff, but only 39 to 35. This is a team that dominated the boards last year in just about every game they played. Um, and against this Arkansas Pine Bluff team, that should be like they should be almost doubling them up on the glass. Did not do it. Mike Miles had a okay game, 15 points, was four of eight from the field. Um, you know, hit a huge three. They're down two with like a minute left, minute and a half left. And Mike came down in transition, had a wide open three from the top of the key, and nailed it. It was in rhythm. It was you know his best one of the night. Won them the won them the basketball game. Um, Chuck O'Bannon had a really tough night shooting one of seven from three, 11 points on the day. You know, he's a shooter though. Like that'll work itself out as the year goes on. Emmanuel Miller was the MVP of the night for me, 19 points, eight of 13 from the field. If you listen to the show last year, you know how much I love Emmanuel. I just think he's a great player. He doesn't necessarily do anything at an elite level, but I just think he does so many things on the floor. Well, and he really calmed the team down, in my mind, in the second half. Was playing with great energy on defense, got some steals, had some deflections, hit a couple big mid-range shots, hit some threes right out of the gate in the second half and sort of cut into that lead. They were down by 11 at halftime. And they, you know, kind of slowly retook the lead in the second half. And I thought, okay, they're just going to roll now. They'll, they'll get it going and get it done. It wasn't the case. Um, ended up, you know, playing a tough game throughout. Didn't shoot super well from the free throw line as well. Pine Bluff was 13 of 29 from three. They did not come in as a at being known for shooting three as well, but they did it well on uh, Monday night. And I think that was part of the issue. I feel like the scouting report on them was to let them take shots like that. And then as they started hitting them in the first half, it was like, okay, we have to adjust a little bit. But the energy on defense was much better in the second half of the game. Here's my concern for TC basketball. I don't put a ton of stock in what happened on Monday night, just in general. Opening game of the season, okay. 
one of the issues, the biggest issue for this team last year was they just couldn't shoot. I mean, they're just not a good shooting team. And they didn't really address that in the offseason. Now, maybe P.J. Haggerty will get some – he's the true freshman from Houston. Maybe he'll get some minutes as the year goes on. I know he's a great scorer in high school. Um, but Chuck O'Bannon is still kind of the, the knockdown shooter. Now, Shadow Wells, who is a transfer from UTA that played a little bit last season but then got injured and didn't play the rest of the year, he had seven points, was two of five from the field. He had a couple jump shots, though where he looked really good in rhythm. Um, and I know in the offseason, he was kind of the guy that they were looking at to step up and hit some of those open threes. They got to be better from the outside. But my, my point is, like, they made up for their shooting deficiencies late in the year by playing great defense and just crashing the glass. Didn't do that super well tonight, and it showed. But that's something that could plague this team. If they go for long stretches without scoring – they have to be elite on defense. And I wonder what Micah Peavy's role is with this group. You know, uh, Wells got the start. Peavy came in off the bench. And we talk about this in the – or people talk about this in the NBA a lot. Like, what's your best lineup? What's your best five? Who are the guys that you're going to roll out there in crunch time? And I don't know the answer for that for TCU, but I'm wondering if Micah Peavy is one of those players. Now, it's, it's interesting because he struggles on offense. Now, he had a pretty good night. On Monday, 10 points, 3 or 6 from the field. Had a nice floater in the lane. You know, I mean, he's he's a guy that's going to get his points by cutting and making plays. I know he's working on that shot in the offseason. If he has a reliable jump shot this year, that's a huge plus. But Micah is just a great on-ball defender, and he can hound ball handlers, make, like, make life tough on them, and really uh, just help the, the team defense as a whole. And when he was on the floor, and when he and Emmanuel Miller were on the floor at the same time, the defense ratcheted up in a big way. And so I just wonder, with Damian Ball serving a suspension, if you didn't know, Damian Ball um, hired an agent in the offseason. He was unregistered, meaning he wasn't cleared by the NCAA. He's now serving a suspension that's for an unspecified amount of time. And the NCAA, they've appealed this. The NCAA has not made a decision. So for now, he's just out of it. And I think they miss Damian tonight. And he's a guy that can take on the ball handling duties at times. He's super athletic, great defender, gets steals, generates chaos just on the floor. But they need his scoring. They need his defense. Peavy and Wells are going to try to make up for that in the meantime. But I'm just curious about Peavy's role moving forward. Eddie Lampkin was really quiet. He made some hustle plays. But overall, tough night for him offensively. He didn't make a ton of noise. Um We'll see what happens. I, I mean, I like how the team is constructed. Obviously, a ton of vets, a ton of returning production. I'm not going to panic about mon- about Monday night, but um, it wasn't the the team that we were expecting to see. That's definitely for sure, and I feel like everybody can agree with that. Uh, I put a poll out on Twitter at Locked On TCU, and I retweeted it on my page at Simcox Steven. During football season, how do you want basketball coverage? And you can comment here on YouTube as well or tweet me if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, but if you want to vote in this poll, like, would you prefer bonus episodes where I just have an episode out, a standalone thing where I'm talking about basketball, or would you like it in this format, third segment of the show? So far, people are, the majority of people are saying third segment of the show. So that's how I did it today. I'm flexible. I'm open to new ideas. So let me know. We'll be back tomorrow. This is Locked on Horn Frogs. We're part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team.